the old suitcase was locked, and they'd had to wait till they got back to their current base to open it with Arn's set of pick locks. Vintage luggage in good condition brought decent money these days, and Arn was careful not to bust the catch. Inside was pay dirt, a carefully folded American flag and a small gold-fringed banner with a gold star pinned to the middle lay atop the dark blue wool uniform of a Navy non-com. American flags were always good sellers at southern flea markets, and authentic uniforms moved briskly, too, around the military bases that dotted the south. Know what we got here? Arne had said. This must have been a kid got killed in the war, and his folks just packed everything up when they sent his things home. Beneath the uniforms were yellowed letters with certain parts carefully razored out by a wartime censor. No envelopes, to Braz's disappointment. Old envelopes were what collectors wanted. But while Arne leaped through the letters, Braz shook out the clothes and surreptitiously felt the pockets. When his fingers discovered the pen, he'd palmed it slicker than an add-up agent working a razzle-dazzle. Unless it was extremely old, or immediately recognizable as valuable, his stepfather never had much patience with anything paper. He preferred hard goods that he could turn over quickly at a decent profit. A quick dime's better than a slow dollar, Arn always said. And he'd toss the packet of letters Braz's way, along with a couple of Zane Gray books and a New Testament that had been in the bottom of the suitcase. A half dozen tiny black and white snapshots slid out of the Bible. Uniformed boys, younger then than he was now, stood on the deck of a ship and in the background was another ship with big white numbers on its bow. It would take some detective work, but if he could figure out what ship it was, he could write an ad to put on the Internet auction site that would bring in a few bucks for the pictures. World War II memorabilia always sold. Let Arn go for the quick dime. He'd take the slow dollar any day. Like this fountain pen. Arn would have put it out to auction with no reserve price, happy to take the high bid of whoever happened to be online that day. Ten dollars or a hundred, Arn wouldn't care, Braz thought scornfully. He was like any other carny. All he cared about was the quick profit. And yeah, Ames Amusement Corporation was growing, but it was never going to be big time. And even if it grew big as straights, wasn't like his mother and Arn would ever cut him a major piece of it. Not while baby brother Val was around. He completed the ad, using an e-identity that neither Arn nor Val knew about, then exited from the program and turned off the laptop. As the screen went dark, he closed the lid, neatened the makeshift desktop, switched off his lamp, and stood up to stretch his cramped muscles. It was a little past 2 a.m. and time to hit the hay. Hay being a mattress on the floor by the rear door. He'd quit sleeping in the family's two-bedroom trailer four years ago, preferring to stake out his own private space 
here in the back of the 18-wheeler's van, rather than share a pop-out with his younger half-brother when they were on the road. Most of the trailers around him were dark and silent. Somewhere, though, a radio was playing soft jazz, and when he stepped out into the airless night, he heard a burst of laughter that sounded like his mother. She and Polly and some of the others were probably over there sipping ice-cold beers and cutting up jackpots. Arn and Val would already be asleep inside the trailer. Neither of them were the night owls he and Mom were. He thought about going over and scoring a cold one himself, but on second thought, after what happened last night, maybe not, he decided. A shower would feel good, but hot as it was, might as well wait and take one when he woke up. Be fresh, for if that little blonde townie came by tomorrow like she said she would when she was flirting with him at the dozer tonight. What couldn't wait was the need to empty his bladder. Portable donikers were down near the tilt-a-whirl, convenient to the midway. Quicker and easier was to go around back to the bushes that grew at the edge of the field where they were parked. It was dark back there, and he just finished his business and was zipping up when someone came around the corner. Male. Big. Moving with purpose. Out of the corner of his eye, he thought he saw a second figure by the truck's front fender. Before he could speak, an iron fist to his midriff bent him double with pain. Another to his chest spun him around so hard that the third punch landed bruisingly on his right shoulder blade as he crumpled to the ground. This is from Polly, the man grunted as he gave a bone-jarring kick to Braz's left buttock and another to his ribs. Not enough to break one, just enough to hurt like hell. Instinctively, Braz drew up his legs and covered his head with his arms in a fetal position as the punishing blows and kicks continued. Pain blossomed through his body, and he cried out. At that, someone called in a low voice, That's enough, Sam. Let him alone. The attacker gave Braz another half-hearted kick. Try to mess over Polly again, you little shithead, and you won't get off this easy. And you better not go run into Arnie or Tal, either. You and Ski keep your mouth shut. They hear about this. I'll beat the crap out of both of you. You got that? He's got it, said the newcomer. A small, elderly man. Now get the hell away before somebody comes. Despite the venomous words, both men kept their voices down. The one called Sam stomped off and Ski Matusik bent over Braz, who still writhed in agony on the ground. Come on, kid, he said. Let old Ski help you back inside. He pulled the younger man to his feet and guided him around to the back of the trailer, where he pushed up the retractable rear door and pulled down the folding steps. Braz climbed them shakily, and collapsed onto the mattress, half crying in his pain and anger. The bastard! You got any aspirin? Ski asked practically. Braz pointed toward the black zippered bag that held his toothbrush, razor, and other toiletries. 
The older man found the bottle, shook out three in his hand. There was a water bottle next to the pillow, and he handed both to Braz. Thanks, he muttered, and lay back on the makeshift bed, drained and exhausted and hurting all over. Anything broken? Braz shook his head wearily. Didn't think so. And he stayed away from your face, too, said Ski. In this light, his missing teeth left dark holes in his tight smile. Smart. Your shirt'll cover all the bruises you're going to have tomorrow, but Tally would have noticed a black eye or cuts on your chin. How come you didn't pull him off me quicker? Braz asked resentfully, wincing as he pushed the pillow into a more comfortable position. Like Sam wouldn't make two of me? You're just lucky I could stop him when I did. What'd you do to piss him off like that? None of your business. But I'll tell you one thing. This is my last time out. Come October, I'm finished with the carnival for good and all. Yeah, yeah, said Ski, who'd heard it before. He went over and pulled the side door nearly shut and turned the fan full on brass. Want me to turn out these lights? I mean it, Braz said drowsily. Who needs this fucking life? Some of us, kid, sighed the old carny. Some of us. Chapter One Judge Deborah Knott First Week in September I was holding court over in Whittington, and it was our fifth.